This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Freeze. High fly ball. Left center. To the track. To the wall. Gone! It's out of here. Home run, David Freeze. Three to one, St. Louis. The one one. Pools. Rips it fair. Hit number 2,000. Down into the corner. And with this double. Pujols joins Stan the Man, Brock, Hornsby, and Slaughter as Cardinals with 2,000 hits. It's the voice of Dan McLaughlin joining us here on Play-By-Play Cast this week. Called his first Major League Baseball game on television when he was 23 years old for the St. Louis Cardinals. And here he is now going into what will be two decades as the voice of the St. Louis Cardinals come spring training in February. Dan McLaughlin is an interesting guy to talk to because he's from St. Louis, he went to college in St. Louis, and he's really only ever worked in St. Louis and has done, uh, you could say, quite all right for himself. Uh, Played baseball collegiately at Lindenwood, uh, started working at KMOX, got involved in Fox Sports Midwest, uh, and then kind of one thing led to another. And here he is, two decades later, as the television voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. Talk a lot on this upcoming episode about uh, what it's like doing baseball on television, what it's like working with different analysts. Dan works with guys from uh, a whole bunch of different eras, including uh, Tim McCarver, who a lot of baseball fans and just generic sports fans will know because of his time doing the World Series and national games with Joe Buck. Uh, So we talk a little bit about that uh, and a whole host of other things, what it's like doing a major league game at 23 and uh, what it's like continuously uh, honing your craft still to this day as well. A lot to get to here on the podcast with Dan McLaughlin. As always, uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you and uh, appreciate the people that have reached out to us even this past week. Um, my Twitter handle is Joel Godet. The Twitter handle for the podcast is PXPCast at PXPCast. And uh, if you shoot me an email, you can uh, get in touch with me that way as well. If you enjoy the podcast, you can leave us a rating, uh, good or bad. Uh, go ahead, be honest. We'll, we'll take we'll take all comers. And uh, if you do enjoy the podcast, tell somebody about it as well. Help spread some play-by-play cast cheer. Hopefully, you've gotten something out of it. Uh, I have certainly gotten something out of doing it, and hopefully uh, some other people can get some insight and learning out of it uh, down the the next couple of weeks and as long as we go with this as well. So if you enjoy the podcast, uh, please do share uh, your enjoyment of it with some other people. I certainly appreciate it. The podcast certainly appreciates it as well. Okay, on to our conversation with Dan McLaughlin, and we start in a fairly unconventional place because Dan is a baseball guy. So why not talk college basketball? That's where we met in St. Louis last week when the college basketball season tipped off and the offseason is where we begin on Play-By-Play Cast. 
Sitting here as Ball State gets set to take on St. Louis for the official tip-off of college basketball season. So, of course, we're talking baseball on play-by-play cast this week. Dan McGoughlin of the uh, St. Louis Cardinals joins us. Uh, we were just saying before we sat down, uh, ways to keep busy in the offseason, but you don't want to drive yourself too crazy, I imagine. No, not really. I mean, I, I've done the schedule where I used to do about 60 to 70 basketball games a year, and, and now i got four little kids, so things have changed, and... Uh, the priorities have shifted towards family and being with my kids and doing a slew game here and there. It's great because I can bring my uh, my kids down here. My oldest really loves watching the Billikens play, so uh, it was a right fit for me. I want to talk. Uh, I was doing prep on you the last couple of days. I, I, I YouTubed you first and foremost, and they have a whole bunch of interviews you've done in-game, uh, and Jim Edmonds is in them. Uh-huh. Uh, how does he keep his headset on? I don't know. I mean, he keeps it from behind him. I, I've noticed that, too, and I've always told him, I said, you know, you might want to put that on top of your head, but... I guess he won't, doesn't want to, you know, he's a real housewives character, so I guess he doesn't want to mess up his hair. But uh, he's been great to work with, and, and Tim McCarver and Al and Rick Horton, they're all really good people. And, and it's really been fun for me because they all represent different generations of Cardinal baseball. So, uh, but back to the original question, I'm not sure how he keeps it on his head. <laughs> uh, let's talk about that, though, for a second, because you're a Cardinals guy through and through. Absolutely. Uh, what's it like to broadcast a team that as a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, you were living through? It's been uh, amazing. I, I, I've said it a million times, but I, I believe it. You know, having a Major League Baseball job is in itself just incredible, especially if you love the game. Uh, and I do love baseball. I played baseball in college. It's how I put myself through school. Um, and then to have the opportunity to not only work Major League Baseball, but to do it for the town and the team that you love. Um, it, it's just amazing. And, you know, I, I knew a lot of the recent history, obviously, because I lived through it. So, Uh, That part of it has been great, and it's not like you're having to relearn a bunch of history. Uh, And then I study the the team's history through and through, and I hope it comes across on the the broadcast, depending on uh, with what guy I'm working with, but especially like with Tim McCarver talking about the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and a little bit of the 70s, but I'm kind of like what you would just, I'm a baseball nerd. I I love it. Um, So what it's like to, to work in my own hometown it's just incredible, and uh, not many guys get this opportunity. Did you want to be Jack Buck? Was that the was that the feeling? Yeah, I I wanted to be an announcer, um, and I to me I always tell people like I've been doing games since I was three or four years old. We used to play wiffle ball in the backyard, and not only would I play, but I'd also announce the games as we were going along. And if we played a video game, I'd always be announcing those and. Um, so Jack Buck was a huge influence clearly on my life because I got to work with him. Uh, I got to produce his shows, got to do games with him on the air, do a Sunday night football show with him. So when you get those kind of opportunities, um, th- those are things you just don't forget, and it's something I'll never forget. When did you make the decision that this is what you wanted to do, and then how did you kind of lay out a path work of how you wanted to get there, or, or did you, uh, you know, going to college to play baseball as well and being able to do what you did in college radio-wise and then set yourself up uh, in your home market? Uh, how did you lay that all out, or, or, or did it just kind of happen? I always say I was right place, right time. I was really lucky. Um, now, I worked very differently than most. I mean, my experience of doing baseball and doing broadcasting was a lot different than most people. And and what I mean by that is that when most guys were out, you know, partying on the weekends, that wasn't my deal. I was out calling a a high school football game or basketball game wherever I could find one. And uh, that's how I got better. And do you need to move because it's getting too loud? We we might. We we (laughs) want to relocate in the hallway. Yeah, that's fine. Let's do that. that. (laughs) 
might actually leave this in for the humor of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I mean, you know, while most people are out doing their thing and partying, I was out calling high school football games and sleeping in my car that night to get up the next day and, and host a show that I made no money for, and I made $25 a game. Um, I had a friend that was at Fox and said, you know, you got to try to to get in there and uh I, and the only background i had was radio and i met a guy by the name of tom mclaughlin no relation spelled differently and i walked in and said you know hey i'd like to to do some something for you you know whatever it might be and he started laughing because he's like you got to be kidding me he said you're dan mclaughlin i said yeah and he said why well, listen to you on cam ox and i was on the air 20 years old on cam ox and he said i thought you were 45 year old man i'm like no this is me and uh he wrote down a a name and a number for a shooter and a editor and said you got five features to show what you can do through the uh the pen the paper at me and started laughing and my first uh feature i ever did for fox was in 1998 it was on jack buck and it got nominated for an emmy and um rest is history they needed help on doing some some hockey so it started with hockey then it went into to baseball and um this is where i've always wanted to be so i'm i'm really lucky what was that jack buck feature about and, and what was so good about it well it, it, he was great i mean he um he gave me some great stuff i mean first of all i, I was able to mic him up during games and uh, and i interviewed mike shannon with it and various people that knew him and he had a great line in there that he would use later in his career. He said, I gave him the best years of my life, and now they're going to get some of the worst. And that's a, it was just great. And so you got to see him behind the scenes, how he called a game. Um, it was it, it's a sidebar to the, the feature was I used to play pickup basketball with a guy, uh, his last name of Andrews. And uh, one time Mike Shannon said, you know, what's amazing about Jack, he said, uh, he can read the mail while he's on the air. And sure enough, he said, I have a happy birthday here to Allison Andrews, who's turning seven today or whatever it was, nine years old. Wound up being a buddy of mine that saw it on the air that I played basketball with. I mean, it's just a small world and a sidebar story, but kind of what made Jack Jack is that he connected to a lot of people here in St. Louis. You got your first major league reps at 23, if mm -hmm. I have that right? Yes. Uh, what are you thinking uh, when you go on the air at 23 years old doing a big league game? Uh, scared out of my mind. Um, first one was down in, in Jupiter, Florida, and they put me with Joe Buck and with Al and myself, and I go on the air, and I'm the guy, you know, supposed to be doing the uh, the play-by-play, -play, and A.J. Burnett, I'll never forget it, was on the mound, and, and Joe's trying to loosen me up. He says, hey, uh, do you know about A.J. Burnett's background? I said, well, I, you know, I know this, that, and the other a little bit, and he said, yeah, you know, he also really enjoys a, a good piercing. He's got... Uh, He's got nipple rings, and uh, I thought, oh, my God, here we go. And so we started talking about nipple rings for about a half inning. So that loosened me up a little bit. I'll never forget before the game, Jack Buck was two booths down, and it's glass, so you can see to the other booth. And he's pointing at me and laughing, knowing how nervous I was. And so I was 23. I was older than or younger than a lot of the players, which was kind of weird, too. Um, but it was just a, a great experience. And, it, you know, at that point in time, there was no uh, phones, I don't think. I mean, if they were, they were just coming out, but there was no internet really as it is today. And um, and thank God there was no Twitter or any of that kind of stuff because, I mean, I, I made it through some things and it would have been very tough. But uh, you know what? I'm, I'm still here. How does that all come to be? I mean, we've talked on this podcast with a lot of different people about the way that they've 
taken different career paths and some guys have said I'm going to a city and I'm going to sit out in that city and, and I'm going to I'm going to make it or, or I'm going to sink um, for you to to come to St. Louis and get involved at KMOX at 20 years old right. and then get you're doing a big league game at 23 um, was it, it was it how does it happen and, and was it just like you talked about sleeping in your car and calling games and doing every little thing you could every little thing I could right place right time uh, KMOX it was um, that started because I went to Linwood University where I played baseball and um, I the the classes I took for MassCom which was my degree in uh, they had a graduate of Lindawood that was at KMOX and, and ran the production department. So they had a class that you could take down at KMOX. So I took it, and uh, the the program director at the time, Tom Langmire, called out to Lindawood and said, hey, who are some really good you know kids that are in the program that have an interest in sports? And they first said me. And they said, that guy works like tirelessly. He does everything we ask. He does all, you know, whatever you can imagine. So... That got me in at KMOX as the producer, and when I say producer, I mean I'm answering the phones for like the Garden Hotline and Mr. Tinker and you know what I mean, all that kind of stuff. So I went to go set up a remote one time for the Blues with Ken Wilson and Joe Micheletti, and there was a, uh, a protest going on outside of City Hall, and I tried to be as well-versed as, as I can, and I always carry a recorder, and so I went out and covered the uh, the protest, interviewed the people, sent it down the line. It was a lead story that night on KMOX before a game, and it caught the attention of those at KMOX, and one thing led to another. There were a lot of changes in the CBS organization, a lot of changes coming down the pipe uh, at KMOX, and... Some people started to leave, and they said, all right, let's give this guy a shot. So I started doing uh, the morning updates on the weekends, and then it turned into Sports Open Line. And then it, I created some opportunities for myself by going to them and saying, hey, I think you need to be doing this on your pregames and your intermissions for hockey. And they said, go for it. And I did that. And then one thing led to another, and here I am. What are the types of things that you carved out for yourself? Uh, and, and how did you come up with the ideas to say, I think you could use this and here's why you should have it and I should be the guy? Uh, money, because it came down to sellable items that uh, they could sell in intermissions and pregame. And they said, yeah, well, why don't we try doing that? And so anytime you can bring money to the table, uh, usually people don't say no. So that's that's where that started. And, and my start in TV was at the right time because it was the explosion of cable television it was the explosion of rights fees in terms of every game being on a channel um, and so I caught the, the attention of the right people and uh, they needed a guy that would you know like when I was first starting out at Fox it was doing the I was producing hosting uh, writing all the features, editing all the features, and then go do the play-by-play. I mean, that's and that's unheard of. And so I was a guy that was willing to do that and do a pretty good job at it. And so that led to another aspect of doing the play-by-play. And then Joe got bigger and bigger at Fox. And as that role grew with him, my role grew with Fox Sports Midwest. And now I'm doing all the games. What was it like when you first started doing baseball on television? Uh, what were the biggest growing pains for you early? And then how did you find yourself getting better at it? Just being young. I mean, just, you know, trying to learn the game as, as best I could. Tony LaRusso was great with me. He used to let me go in his office uh, before the, the clubhouse was open. <clears throat> and I would get there two or three o'clock and just hang out in his office for two or three hours and if I had a question he'd just say go for it you know ask me he was unbelievable in helping me try to understand why he did certain things that he did if you didn't understand them um, and then I think just as you get older you 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 just mature in life you start seeing different things you learn more about yourself you learn more about you know 
community, St. Louis, the Cardinals, um, and but you have to be willing to want to learn those things too. And and I do. I, I always go in with an open mind and kind of my my idea is mouth shut, ears open, and just hear what players have to say. And the game has changed in terms of doing on television because of the. Uh, advances in television in terms of when I first started you might see the score bug now you see the score bug you see where a player's positioned you see who's on first who's on second who's on third you see the strike zone you see the strike zone what the count is so it's evolved in trying to tell I think more stories about the players as opposed to do, doing just straight play by play so I hopefully do that I try to entertain people and not put them to sleep at night. How do you get your stories in baseball, especially because it's such an everyday game? Right. Uh, are you around the cage a lot? How much uh, how much in-depth conversation do you get to have with guys? Because while it's everyday, it's also so regimented where they're in routines. Well, you, you, part of it is being down on the field in the cage, uh, around the cage, um, certainly in the clubhouse. And for us at... Uh, have the opportunity to do a local package you know you're, you're traveling with the guys too so you're on the planes you're at the hotels you might be at a restaurant you could be at the coffee shop and that's a great way you might share a cab over to the ballpark with a guy um, that's where I get most of my information um, and I get to the ballpark early when I'm on the road in the seven o'clock game I'm at the ballpark sometimes 1 o'clock just to start getting ready have an idea what I want to talk about maybe some of the direction of of the game uh, because like I said it's it's story and it's three to three and a half hours you got to try to fill um, so that's where I get them mostly and I I'll, I'll get a story with a guy and I'll jot it down and I keep a long laundry list of things that I've done over the years with individual players and you know sometimes I may draw on them sometimes I don't but that's how I do it yeah I was gonna say what's your your prep like as far as uh, keeping track of guys over time obviously if you've got a guy who's here for 12 years you're not going to want to tell the same story over and over right. uh, how do you keep track of and then how do you build on kind of the picture you've painted of a guy over the years well I, I watch him um, you know like Matt Carpenter is a good example I've, I've seen every single at bat that he's had and this year I was just curious when you watch Carpenter he always leans back then comes forward then the hands go back and he swings the bat and I said why do you lean back I said is it just you know a trigger mechanism he said yep and he said I've been doing it since I was six years old and I said anybody try to get you out of it and he said, then he started telling me about his college coach and then I talked to his college coach and his college coach gave me stories about how he lost 40 pounds his senior year to get ready to go to the draft and they pulled him aside and said you could be a major league player but you have to do x y and z that led to me talking to the guy in Springfield Mike Schilt and who's now at Memphis and who's going to join the major league staff at some point um about Carpenter and dealing with him and that led to another aspect of his defense and how he improved there so one thing leads to another it's just you got to put in the time to, to kind of ask the questions and I've never looked at anything as being a bad question I, I never try to embarrass a guy personally you know their, their personal life is their personal life that's not my my problem or my my uh, you know to me it's none of my business but when they're on the field and there's things that are going on there or if they're doing something away from the field that's a good cause, I like to tell those stories. What are you looking at the cage? Um, are you trying to notice little things like that with Matt? Are you trying to notice the way the guys are hitting that day? Are you talking to them about non-baseball related stuff just to see how life's going? Um, how do you utilize that time most effectively? Most of it, uh, most of it is probably non-baseball related. It's more of, you know, how's your family? How's this? And then that leads into... Well, you know, they, and the players will offer it, offer it up. They'll say, well, I'm struggling. You know, I'm two for my last 20, and I'm trying to get my front shoulder to stay in against a lefty. And, you know, now all of a sudden they just they offer it to you, you know, so you have it. 
And a lot of times, you know, I, I use it as a reference point, but I may not necessarily say, hey, by the way, Matt Carpenter's right shoulder is flying open against the lefty and he's working on it because I know the opposing team's watching and I don't want to give away trade secrets. But I may say, hey, he's been working on a few things in the cage and you might see him try to take a ball to left on this particular situation. So I don't give it away, but yet I'm able to at least sound informed and give the, the fan, the viewer, something to watch out for that maybe just a normal at bat. Were there questions or moments you remember with Tony La Russa that were most helpful to you as a young broadcaster? Just being in his office. Um, he, he would always be going through his mail and signing autographs and paying bills and uh, going through, you know, to him telling me about why he did certain things, even though I may not agree with it, uh, he, he would say, well, here's why I did it. And by the time I got done with it, I still may not agree with it, but I'd say, Ah, that made sense. I get it. And that's what was great about Tony is that he would tell you, you know, this is why I did this. It doesn't make sense on the surface, but here's what I was thinking. And he'd always explain himself that would allow me then to try to explain it to the fans, which I think is my job. So that part of it, in just a general sense, there's no really particular uh, story that I can think of outside of what he talked about with David Freeze one night to me in 2011. He said I was going to pull him on the, on, from the lineup when uh, he was going to face Roy Oswald, and this was after the World Series, and he, he got on track against the Phillies. Then he wins the NLCS MVP and World Series MVP, but he was driving down to the ballpark with David Freeze not in the lineup, and Mark McGuire said, I wouldn't do that because I've got a couple of things I've been working on in the cage. And it talked about his front foot. He said his front foot is starting to get down, which is going to allow him to speed up his bat and the technical things that they get into. But, you know, he said, don't take him out of the lineup. So hearing a story like that, like, you know, catches your attention. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, What's your book look like? All of that being said. My book in terms of like all my guys? Uh, well, your, your book of that, your scorebook as well. Um, just when you're sitting at the desk, what do you have in front of you and how do you keep it all organized? Well, I have a little uh, computer just in case I want to go look up a stat or something that's not in the notes. Um, and I've made my own scorecard. It's a big, it almost looks like a football chart. If you do football, it's pretty big and it just flips on both sides. So I use one card for every game and then I keep that card for the remainder of the series. And then if there's stuff that I really like on the side of it, I keep a, a I would say two to three inches on the right side of the card ready for notes and also two to three inches at the top uh, for notes too and I keep the boxes inside the actual scorecard very big so I can say uh, great play move to his left three two pitch did you know whatever it was you know went six pitches in a row five change-ups you know whatever the the deal may be so I, I'm able to keep notes and refer back to that um, for that particular at bat so that's how I do it and then I keep at my house I have a, a number of folders for each team and I keep individual stories or things that I want to remember I put those in there and things I can come back to and and uh, refer to as the game goes on you mentioned working with Joe Buck a little bit. Um, first off, I still can't get him talking about nipple rings out of my mind, yeah. um, which is just trying to funny to process right. it. Um, I think Joe catches a lot of unfair flack because um, he gets a lot of criticism, and I think he's probably one of the better guys out there in this industry. Um, what kind of mentor was he to you, and what was it like learning side-by-side side with him? Well, he really, Not a mentor because at the time um, when he was doing TV, I was doing radio, and if I was doing radio, he was doing TV. It was more of just, you know, a guy uh, just being a friend, you know, just being a good guy. And uh, the thing that he did tell me was just to relax, you know, have fun with it, and, uh, and that's what I've always tried to do. And, you know, as he's moved on, I don't see him that much. He doesn't come around the ballpark all that much, at least when I'm there. Um, you know, I'm sure he's there when he's obviously got to do a game. 
But uh, yeah, I, I, I look more of him as a contemporary and a friend, and and not a guy that I'm going to sit there and go, well, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing right? You know, just. At this point in time in my career, I just say, well, if it's not good enough, somebody's going to let me know and I won't have a job. How much do you critique yourself, that being said? Uh, how much do you watch stuff back? All the time. Um, you know, I, I DVR all the games, and if there's something on there that I go, eh, that wasn't very good, or I needed to shut up here, or I should have told that story, or, you know, I look at it all the time, and um, I, I don't think you ever should stop. I mean, I think it's always something, unless you're Vince Scully, but I always try to go back, watch the games, and see what I'm doing right, and see what I'm doing wrong. What, if you can remember back, uh, are there things that even down the stretch this year where you caught yourself and said, that's something I want to work on or this is something that still bothers me or, or stuff that even now being a veteran in this industry um, bugs you or, or, or gives you a stumbling block that uh, you, you wish you could put aside? It's going to sound bad. No. I, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I was thinking like, uh, you know, the holiday moments, you know, do you, do you lay out even more? Do you shut up? Do you just let the play do what it's going to you know do on tv and let the fan but i try to do that i try to just call the play and get out of the way um not really i mean i i don't have a lot of regrets i try not to have a lot of regrets i mean it's you can beat yourself up pretty quickly that way especially and i I mean you were talking about joe earlier i mean he's got to have the thickest skin going and even in a position like i have where it's a local package but so many people watch these games um you just got to have a thick skin and and say look i did the best i can and i do the best that i possibly put into this i I can look myself in the mirror as cliche as it sounds and know i was as prepared as i possibly could be and don't worry about it how do you guys uh prepare a broadcast and i know it's different from not just a personal preparation standpoint, but I remember listening. Uh, Jessica Mendoza was on Richard Deitch's Sports Illustrated Media podcast, and she was talking about the amount of film that she watches um, and wanting to break down, like, hey, can we have uh, like a, a slow-mo of this guy's swing because I want to talk about mm-hmm. it. Uh, how many kind of feature type things or, or how much will you before a game, especially because it's every day, be able to sit down and say, like, these are – X, Y, and Z things that we want to be able to get in today, uh, Every day. as opposed to letting things just unfold. Every day, um, you know, I was we were talking about uh, earlier this year, Led Miss Diaz, and it goes back to being down by the cage. And I was talking to David Bell, and I just said, you know, hey, what are you working on defensively? Because he's made a lot of errors, and I, I can see him early at, here at the ballpark being here early. I see you guys individually pull him aside, and he said, well, we got him coming in. So I went and said, hey, to our crew, I said, find me a, a video where he's staying back on a ball and wonder he's coming in. We'll split screen it. Or Randall Gritchick dropping his hands and laying his bat and how he does that and why he does that. So I'll do some of those. That's more for the analyst to do, but I'll do some of that too. Where I try to get in is more of the stories of, hey, I uh, visited with uh, somebody that knew Cool Papa Bell, and uh, would you shoot a statue so I can tell that story? Those are the kind of things that I'll do more so than me trying to break down a game because I don't think that's my responsibility. But uh, the story stuff of what's happening with the club or with players away from the game, if I can get pictures or something with it, I'll do that all the time. What's the right way to tell a story in baseball? Because I know you never want to force it, but I'm sure in the back of your mind you're saying, I want to get to these things. Uh, How do you make the right transition? No, I I don't force it. I try to never force it. Um, The game, uh, one thing I always have tried to figure out, and it's a, a constant struggle, the game is always the story. So the players on that field are the story. People don't tune in to see me. They don't tune in to see my partner. Um, 
they tune in to watch those guys on the field. So if the game's tight, I think we should be always talking about the game. You know, why are they trying to get this guy out? What's this hat, uh, hitter trying to do? Those kind of things, as opposed to, oh, well, I know it's a tight game. It's 3-2 here in the eighth. And uh, let me tell you about Joe Blow and what he did. And uh, No one cares. No one wants to hear that. So earlier in the game, especially if it's just kind of relaxed and, you know, we're getting into it and it's weaving some stories in and out. And as the game progresses, get away from that and focus more on what's happening with the game. Dan McLaughlin joins us uh, here on Play by Play Cast, uh, voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, and I got to let you get going probably soon because I know you got to. Well, we both have games to do here tonight. Um, you mentioned working with different analysts. Uh, how does that change your approach that day as well? And you talked about, hey, Tim McCarver, we've got a, a gateway into a different era of baseball. Um, how much will you change the way that you want to do a game based on who you're with? A lot, because uh, if I've got McCarver, we're going to talk more about the, the players of the 60s and the 70s. And I think that even though our younger generation may not like that, well, the older generation does. Edmonds is more about breaking down today's players and certainly outfielders. And then with Al and Ricky, it's about, you know, pitching and what I can try to get out of them. So it's different with each guy, but uh, I do think each brings something unique to the table, which are those eras of, of baseball that our fans want to hear about. Is that the interesting challenge for you is to be able to have that conversation with guys and make it flow the right way uh, so that you're not just two guys in a booth for yeah. three hours? Yeah, that's part of it. I mean... But, you know, one thing that happens with this is that these guys are interchangeable. So it's not like I'm working with the same guy for 150 games. Um, it's different every time. So it kind of keeps it fresh. And I, I hope the viewer likes that um, because for me it does keep it fresh. You know, I mean, if Tim's doing a three-game series, certainly it's going to be different than what I get from Al, uh, good or bad. It's just different. And um, so that, that does keep it fresh. And, you know, working with all four different guys, like I said before, it just gives you a different era and a different viewpoint that maybe they're seeing that I don't see and the guy that I'm with that night may not see. So we go back to it and let those particular analysts talk about what they want to talk about. If I can get into the technical minutia, uh, I don't want to say how do you call a baseball game on television because that's really broad. Um, but what's important on television versus radio? Obviously, you're, you're pointing every single picture out. On TV, especially with baseball, though, because it's such a conversational sport and you don't have to say even every pitch, um, how much is it almost a struggle of uh, not when not to talk but when to talk? can be. Uh, I think game dictates it. I think moments dictate it. You know, if there's a big play, you call the play and get out of the way, especially if you're at home. Let the crowd tell the story and your director should be shooting happy, sad fans going crazy and get and catch the emotions of that of that uh, particular moment. But, um, you know, when you're when you're doing television and I think it's the hardest thing to do is TV baseball. I think it's without question the hardest thing to do in sports broadcasting. We have so many things that we already give the fans. So I just look at myself as being another part of it. So we got graphics. We've got ball strikes. We got uh, different views of camera angles. So what can I do to enhance those things? And that's what I try to do. And I also think by being exciting and by trying to bring energy to it, I try not to make it stale for 162 games. So I know that sounds broad brushed, but that's how I try to do it. Do you even not, will you not call pitches sometimes and just let it breathe for 15, 20 seconds? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Let it breathe, uh, especially after big plays. Lay out, you know, um, and let the let the cameras and let the uh, producers like Tim Trokey, who's one of the best in the business, and our director, uh, Tommy, let those guys, you know, catch the moment. 
saw an interview you did where you talked about loving being the voice of the Cardinals and loving what you do and having had opportunities to do other things and go to bigger levels. What is it that entices you about being the TV guy for the Cardinals and for a team? Um, because in television, you don't get that a lot. It's, it's pretty much exclusive to baseball. Right. Why do you like that versus the opportunity to, to maybe take those chances and be on a national stage? Well, I've done a lot of the, the national stuff, and um, the money's really good. I like the money. I like that part. Um, but I like being home. I like the fact that my kids can see this uh, as, as they grow up. I like the fact that my mom, who's still with me, um, can watch this. Um, and I love the Cardinals. I, that's the only, I mean, I, I, I don't think everybody would agree with me or maybe want to do it that way, but this is what I want. Um, I've always wanted to do the Cardinals, and I'm coming up on my 20th year, uh, and to be the signature voice of a franchise and have those moments that people remember, and maybe to be the voice of a younger generation's childhood, which is, I think, the way that this is going, where a lot of people are growing up on me watching television. Um, that means a lot to me. That means more than money. And also, I think you can do a lot of things for charity and for the community, which I've tried to do in my life, too, uh, because you do have a voice in this community, and hopefully people want to get behind you and support you, which a lot of times they do. Is that crazy to you to think, though, that like you're 42 years old, I think, right? Right. Um, and you could do this until you're you – you could have the same job from 26 to 80 and, yeah. and love it every single day. Yeah. I, well, I think about it, you know. God willing, if I'm healthy enough, I mean, keep doing it. Um, you know, the, the travel, as much as people don't want to hear about it, and they shouldn't, they shouldn't care, the travel is hard in our jobs. It's just, but that's part of it. I mean, that's maybe the worst part of it. And when I first started, it was great. I was single, I was having fun, and I was seeing places I would never would have the opportunity to, to see. I didn't have money growing up, so our big vacation as a family was going to the Ozarks, so this is kind of a big deal. But now, that you know, you kind of go through that, and, um, and now that I have kids, you know, I want, to, I want to see them grow up too, but um, I think it's it is kind of a daunting thing when you say that. But I got to keep the job too, so hopefully that'll happen as well. Best city, best park. You mentioned travel. Where do you love going? Um, I love Wrigley Field. I mean, I know our Cardinal fans don't want to hear that, but going to Wrigley's. A, <laughs> you mentioned keeping the job. I think right, that's yeah. right. <laughs> but you know, Wrigley with a Cards Cubs weekend is about as good as it gets, just because the atmosphere is so much fun and the history's there. Uh, Fenway Park, the same thing. Dodger Stadium, getting a chance to talk to Vin Scully and see that stadium and know the history that's been there. Um, and in terms of cities, uh, I love San Francisco. San Francisco is one of my favorite places. Uh, on the hockey side, when I did hockey, I love going to Vancouver. Vancouver, British Columbia is. As good as it gets, and Toronto on a Saturday night watching a hockey game is pretty cool. Um, I love going to New York. I wouldn't want to live there, I don't think, but I love going there. It's a great, great city. But, you know, all those places bring something different to the table, whether it be by, by being at that ballpark or being in that city and the vibrance of a particular city. Um, but this job's allowed me to learn all about it, which I never, ever would have had that opportunity. Can you put us in the booth with Vin? What's that experience like? I've never been in the booth with him as he's doing a game. He's got, he closes the door, and he's got the people that work by his side that help him out with stats and stories and whatnot. But before a game, he, he's the nicest man you'd ever want to talk to. He'll, he'll ask you questions about what's going on with the team. You know, maybe you give him a couple of stories that he can relay on, uh, on the air. Um, and it's just a, a neat man, and you're watching a living legend, which is, like, pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> um, Dan, if people want to find you, follow you, uh, get in touch, how do they do it? At Danny Mac TV. I guess that's the best way. I'm on Twitter. I don't really... 
tweet anything of substance, but I'm on it, so I have fun with it. And, uh, yeah, if anybody wants to follow me, follow me there. Dan, appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Dan McLaughlin of the St. Louis Cardinals joining us here on Play-By-Play Cast. i got to be honest. I love the preparation stuff that he talked about and the chain of events that unfolds in doing his preparation. Really kind of remarkable to hear about how he – sits down and does all of that work. And we'll talk to one guy when he was talking about Matt Holliday's, it was Matt Carpenter, Matt Carpenter swing and how he had that kind of hitch in it. That goes back to when he played when he was younger. So Dan's calling, you know, college coaches and high school coaches and, and the chain of events that just continues to breed deeper and deeper stories because he's willing to make that next phone call. You know, in college basketball and just in basketball, they always talk about, you know, you've got a great shot, but make that one more pass. Get the more open shot. You know, I think it's interesting to hear Dan talk about having a good story, but making the one more, making that one more call, which leads to one more call, and then taking a great story and anecdote and expanding that as time goes on, or even just the first time you talk about it, because you made the one more. And I think that's a really good uh, lesson to extrapolate and apply to, to what we do on a, on a daily basis. My many thanks to Dan McLaughlin for joining us here and taking some time out. We did that. I, I mean, you can tell we were in a basketball arena, did that quite literally uh, before tip off of a basketball game. He was doing on TV. I was doing on radio, met me at the arena early and was more than kind with his time to sit down for about a half an hour and do that chat and uh, be a guest here on the podcast. Next week is Thanksgiving. And I don't know if we're going to have an episode yet. We'll see. We might take next week off. If you wake up on Black Friday and uh, you're, way, you're, you're on your way to the mall and suddenly you've got an episode of Play-By-Play Cast, don't be surprised. Uh, but if we don't have one next week, don't be surprised either. We will certainly be back the week after that. So do not fret. Maybe we're off next week. Maybe we're not. It's really not a great tease. But that's where we're going to leave things for this week. Thanks, as always, for your continued support. Again, you can shoot us a message on Twitter at PXPCast. We'd love to hear from you, and we look forward to hearing from you again next week or in a couple of weeks when Play-By-Playcast returns. Many thanks to Dan McLaughlin. Many thanks to you. Many thanks to Marshmallow, who lets us use this music unknowingly. They're playing it, which is my go-home cue. So i got to get out of here. We'll talk to you next time here on PXPCast. Cast. <laughs>